Good evening, everybody. Tonight, we'll be reading from John chapter 4, verses 1 through 26. John chapter 4, 1 through 26. Therefore, when the Lord knew that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John, though Jesus himself did not baptize but his disciples, he left Judea and departed again to Galilee. But he needed to go through Samaria. So he came to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied from his journey, sat thus by the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman of Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Then the woman of Samaria said to him, How is it that you, being a Jew, ask a drink from me, a Samarian woman? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered and said to her, If you knew the gift of God, and who it is who says to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where then do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well, and drank from it himself, as well as his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered and said to her, Whoever drinks of this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. But the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water, that I may not thirst nor come here to draw. Jesus said to her, Go, call your husband and come here. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You have well said, I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one whom you now have is not your husband, in that you spoke truly. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, and you Jews say that in Jerusalem is the place where one ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We know that we worship for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour is coming, and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. The word of the Lord. Thank you, John. John, thank you for reading the scriptures so well. And a lovely section of scripture it is that uh, we'll be considering during the course of our time this evening. And thank you, Randy, for uh, leading us and uh, uh, 
welcoming everybody. I don't like talking about uh, somebody who has been drinking too much, but there is a man and he was uh, in that situation where he had found that he had drunk too much alcohol. And he was wandering up the street and uh, a policeman is watching at a distance and the policeman notices that the man is fumbling around and he's obviously looking for something. He looks under each sort of nook and cranny behind the lamppost that uh, stood there and the lights all around. And the policeman's watching him for a moment and eventually the policeman, uh, seeing something slightly comical, goes up to him and says, Sir, what's the problem? And the man says, Officer, I've lost my wallet. I've got a hole in my pocket. It's fallen out. And so the policeman agrees reluctantly to help him and so they're both looking around under the street lamp to try and find this wallet. And eventually the policeman is tiring of this. And he says, well, well where exactly, exactly did you lose it, sir? And the man looks up and he points down the road and he says, down there somewhere. And the policeman says, well, why are we looking here? And so the man says, because there's no street lamps down there and it's dark and I can't see anything. <laughs> okay? Now that's the, the, the point that we're going to uh, try and take from that particular story is very simply this, is that if you're looking for something, you've got to look in the right place. Now, if your home's like our home, you leave your wife to look for uh, the things that are lost, you know, your keys, right? <laughs> and the chances are she'll know where to look for them. You haven't got a clue. Or you listen to your children, they're trying to find something, and it's gone. And, and, and you know, children have got masses of patience, don't you? And they're sort of like trying to find something. Patience is gone completely, and feet are stamped, and people are getting stressed as to where it is. Because, of course, you're not going to find it if you're not looking in the right place for the object, for what it is that you're looking for. You see, friends, it's absolutely vital that if you're searching for something, you look for it in the right place. And usually the reason that you can't find what you're looking for is because you're not looking in the right place. And it's pretty obvious to make a statement like that. For instance, I want you to think for a moment of the most important search that you and I can engage in in all. And that is trying to find God and to find his secret to living a successful life. His secret for coming into his kingdom. His secret of coming in to heaven. Now the reality is, is that lots of us here know a great deal about God. I would suggest that probably most of us have been brought up in Christian families. And we've listened to our mums and our dads and they've talked to us. We went to Sunday school when we were children and we heard all the Bible stories. We heard everything that was being said. And, you know, in a, in a game of Bible trivial pursuit, we'd stand a good chance because we were brought up in at least a God-fearing home. We were at least brought up perhaps in a home where um, the Bible was respected. Maybe that our parents weren't saved. Maybe there was a lack of understanding of what salvation is all about. But the reality is, is that we know a great deal about God. You've been brought up in that so-called Christian family. And you've always sought to know God. Because deep down, something tells you that he's real. Because you've seen things in other people that let you know that this is more than just a myth or a fairy tale, as sometimes people say. I've told you before about the uh, young man who came to uh, stay at our home and uh, we said, hey, 
is there a Bible story you'd like us to read? And he thought for a few moments, and he said, yes, Jack and the Beanstalk, <laughs> okay? And that's the reality of today, all right? It was a good shot in the dark, maybe, Jack and the Beanstalk, but that's the answer that he gave. You see, we know, we see, we understand, and sometimes we come across these people, and, and, and we want to have what it is that they've got. Because we see peace in their life. We see that there is a sense of um, satisfaction. You know, and we're searching for everything. And they just amble through life and they're satisfied. And, and they seem to be grateful people. They keep seeing th- saying thank you to God for his goodness to them, for his mercy to them. And, 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 and we'd love to have that. But of course, we need to search and we need to search in the right place. You want to know his love in your life. You see it in other people, but you are empty. You desperately want peace. You want something deeper. And something inside tells you that God is the answer. You wish that you could really know God. And someone comes up to you and perhaps asks you the question, are you seeking the Lord? Are you seeking God in your heart and in your life? And perhaps they might even say something like this, God's seeking you. And he is. And you're here tonight because he's seeking you. You're here tonight because he wants a relationship with you. He's not just going to stand by and let you walk away. You're here for a reason. There's a destiny. And it could be that this evening is going to be the evening that you will meet face to face the risen Lord Jesus Christ and you will receive from him Life everlasting. Uh, There was a woman whose life was a complete mess. And John has just kindly read to us the details. But we know that her life was a mess because of the way that the Lord Jesus speaks to her. And yet graciously, kindly. There's no sense of embarrassment that is brought in that sense. And he graciously speaks to this woman who has found that her life has been totally messed up. She had had five husbands, and now the man that she was living with is not her husband. But regardless of all this, regardless of what the people in the town of Sychar had said about her, regardless of the fact that she was obviously drawing water when all the other women were not drawing water, she couldn't face being involved with them because of the things that would have been said, the fingers that would have been pointed. I always say, remember the fact that when you point a finger, there's at least three fingers pointing back at you, so be careful. In fact, our Lord Jesus is very loving, he's very gracious, he gently deals with her, and he reveals to her important truths about her life. And the truths that he reveals to this dear lady are the truths that you and I need to see in our lives as well. And we're briefly going to talk about some of them this evening. Now, did you notice, as the scriptures were read to us, that in uh, verse 4 of John's Gospel, chapter 4, John read this, Jesus needed to go through Samaria. Now, it's one of those verses that we can just flip over very, very quickly. Jesus needed to go through Samaria? Well, the Jews never did go through Samaria. That was the thing that they would always avoid. Samaria was not the place to go if you were a Jew. And so there were different ways that you could get from one end of the country to the other and avoid this little area in the middle called Samaria. And that was to go up the coast or to go up the River Jordan. And it meant that you didn't have to go through the middle. And yet the scriptures tell us that Jesus needed to go 
through Samaria. You see, this is one of the examples in Scripture that we have, a beautiful example of the fact that Jesus goes out of his way to meet us. You didn't need to be here this evening, but you're here. Jesus is with us. And tonight, perhaps you're here under duress. Your mum and dad told you you had to come. There was no option in the matter. But you're here because you're going to meet Jesus. We all will. We've already begun to start to do this. And you will have the choice as to whether you're going to listen to what he has to say. Whether you're going to respond to the love that he shows and demonstrates. Or whether you will turn your back and you will walk out and you'll say, Oh, yeah, that was great. Well done. But it's not for me. So why did he go through Samaria? Very simply because Jesus had to meet this woman. That was it. There was an appointment that was made and our Lord kept it. In fact, he was early and he waited for her to come. And he knew by herself she would come. Jesus wanted to meet her and he wanted to change her life. And the incredible thing is this, this is exactly how Jesus works today. No change. Today, right now, Jesus is willing to go out of his way to meet with just you. Just you. To meet with each one of us. But he loves us. And he wants to meet with you. Now, as we saw last week, God cares for every individual in creation. There's not one of us here. I've got to be careful what I say now. There's not one of us here that Jesus doesn't like. There's not one of us here who's too stupid, too intelligent, too rich, too poor. He loves us all. In Acts 17, verse 30, you'll remember that we quoted, the Apostle Paul reminds us that God commanded all men everywhere to repent. All men and women and children, boys and girls, to repent. Why? Because he has appointed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by the man who he ordained, his son, Jesus. So God shows his love to all mankind by commanding us to repent. All of us. And to be made right with himself because he knows and this is why he said this. He knows that judgment is coming. And we need to have repented of our sin. To turn to him. To have a change of mind. A change of heart. And to come to him. Now you may not understand this. And in fact you may have been told otherwise. But God right now is personally calling to you. I've heard people say to me, well, you know, I go to church every Sunday because <laughs> I want God to call me. I, I, and if I miss that Sunday, maybe that'll be the Sunday that God was going to call me to come into his kingdom. And I'm saying to myself, so you've sat for 30 years, 40 years, and you've been reading the scriptures, you've heard people preach, and you're saying that God's not speaking to you? And you're ignoring what he has to say? And when you hear his word read, and maybe you had that time when you picked the Bible up and you read it yourself, and God speaks to you, and he's calling to you, 
And he tells you that you need to repent. And he tells you that there's going to be judgment coming. And he tells you that if you want to come to be with him in heaven for all eternity, then you need to repent of your sin. You need to call out to Jesus. And he tells you all of that. You see, he is calling you personally right now. And the problem is, is that we are not listening. It is not that God is not calling But you also cannot get away from the fact that the same voice of God will call at some point and say to you personally, your time's up. Your soul is demanded of you. We looked at that last week as well. But you see, the lesson that we have here is that God loves us and he commands us to repent and he does everything to draw us to himself, to show his love to us. And the Samaritan woman was apparently ashamed of the situation in her life. And it's fair to say that we make mistakes. All of us do. Sometimes they're serious mistakes. And sometimes relationships are damaged and broken. And sometimes we spend the whole of our lives, it seems, regretting what had happened. And yet this dear woman, she's got this appointed time to meet with Jesus and she comes as I've said already to draw water from the well at midday when no one else will be around but Jesus knew about her and he waited for her you see friends whilst many of us try it is absolutely impossible to deceive God some of us do indeed we try very hard we want to avoid that appointment which we know is coming We want to live our own lives in the way that we want to. We want to have all the freedom so we think to do all the things that we want to do. And maybe we try and deceive God. But he's not to be deceived. And he's calling to us. And he's waiting for us. But we must never presume on God's patience. Because he's also warned us. That the day of judgment will come. And if you think for one moment that you can presume on God's patience, he is patient. And this is why we're still here waiting for the Lord Jesus. Because he is patient and he's giving us time. He's giving you time to repent of your sin, to turn to him, to call to him for salvation. It doesn't matter how much of a religious fanatic you are. And I meet a few of those from time to time. Some of them I admire. You know, the the way they continuously try so hard to live a good life. We saw that this morning and we spoke about it. And I was encouraged, the number of people who said, you know, that was me. That was the position I have been in. doesn't matter how, how much of a fanatic you are, you'll never be good enough to impress God. You know, no, no rebel is ever clever enough to hide anything from God. Our children try and hide things that they've done wrong. Um, The cupboard is pulled over a few inches to hide the drawing that's on the wall with a permanent marker. A group of mischievous students uh, once stuck together various body parts of different insects. Now, it's the sort of thing I'd have had a go at if if, if, if I'd sort of had that opportunity. And they took different bits from different insects and they made this complete bug 
and they gave it to a famous professor of zoology and they were really proud of it. It looked perfect. And they said, Sir, can you identify uh, this, this bug? And the professor studies it for a few moments and then he looks up and says, Yes, I can identify this. It's a humbug. At this point, you're to laugh. <laughs> okay. And friends, you can't deceive God. You can't. Because he's the all-knowing creator. He's create- he knows you better than you know yourself. You know all the things in your life, the things that you know, are good, the things that are bad. And you think you know yourself really well. Your wife knows the, the guys, you know, the, the husbands here pretty well. And, and lads, you think you know your wife pretty well. And, 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 and we know our children. But God knows us all better. Because we're made in his image. Because we're precious to him. Because he loves us. And he's the all-knowing creator. You know, in our better times, when we're prepared to be open with ourselves, do you ever sit down and, and have an open conversation with yourself? I know they say first sign of madness is talking to yourself, but there are times when we need to just sit down and have a good, a good face-to-face conversation with ourselves, Because we soon discover that we're not the great people we think we are. We're not the wonderful people that we think we are. We're not the good people that we think we are. And suddenly we discover that there's some bad things about us. And we suddenly discover that we're sinful. And we suddenly discover that our relationship with God is not what it should be. There was a well-known and very clever and very, very talented uh, entertainer um, going back a few years now. Uh, But he was well-respected as a British entertainer. His name was Tony Hancock. Now, I don't know if anybody can ever remember that name here in Canada. You might have come across him. I don't know. And he performed before millions of people around the world. He was on radio. He was on television. He was very clever. He was very good at making people laugh. He took his own life. He was by himself in a hotel room. He was lonely. And in his note, he said this, he said, true happiness, I'm telling you, is impossible to ever obtain. And of course, he's right. If you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ as your savior, because how can we ever be truly happy when we are unsure and uncertain about the world in which we live, the lives that we have, about the eternity that is facing us? We can't truly be happy. We can mask it. We can cover it up. And as human beings, we're always pretty good at doing that. And we discover or we think to ourselves that having a good laugh is a way of covering the issues that we face. He had everything that he ever needed. People loved him. But he didn't have true happiness. Friends, the road to happiness is not paved with fun, fame, fortune, sex, alcohol, drugs. Nor is it paved with religion, which has no reality. Note that the woman who Jesus talked to by the well even spoke of religion. And a lot of us talk about religion, but religion doesn't save you. It's never saved anybody. 
Religion never gives you true happiness because it just leaves you thirsting and hungering for more. It just leaves you trying harder and you're feeling that you're failing because you've done so well one week and the next week it was terrible. But this lady spoke of religion to try and justify her position. And again, be careful about justifying your position by talking about religion. She deflected the question that our Lord presented to her about herself. And she said this, are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us this well? But Jesus had come to offer her true life. And we read further in John chapter 10, verse 10, he said this, I have come that they may have life and have it more abundantly. Because friends, that's what we want. We want to be able to live life. As again, we spoke of this morning with a sense of happiness and joy. Even in difficult situations, we are able to do that. Jesus sat next to this disillusioned woman and offered a new kind of life to her. He would satisfy her thirst for happiness with a fountain of joy that would never run dry. And this evening I ask you the same question. Have you tasted of living water? The Samaritan woman was disillusioned by life because she was disappointed by pleasure. Now that rings a bell, doesn't it? All the pleasure we seek. I go downstairs this afternoon and there's what? One, two, three, four lads on the sofa. All on a video game. And I just see them. <laughs> it's quite funny. <laughs> well, it's pleasure, I guess. But it doesn't last. It goes like a vapor, a mist. And while we're on the subject of a vapor or a mist, that's our life. You know, you might think your life is incredible, but it's just a vapor, it's a mist. And it'll be gone before you know it. And some of us who are older here will be able to say, before you know it, it's gone. Where's the 30, 40, 50, 60 years gone? She was disillusioned because the pleasure that she had deemed was gone. The Samaritan woman, probably as a teenager, had dreamed of the ideal husband, I think most girls do, and boys of an ideal wife. And at last, she thought she'd met him, and they married. And perhaps they were happy for a while, but slowly things turned sour. They split up and they divorced. But sadness turned to joy when she met another man. And this time things looked so promising. But again, her happiness was short-lived. And then there was husband number three, and then number four, and then number five. And when she got to number six, she thought, can't afford this anymore. <laughs> so they just lived together. And so often people have sought treasure. But do you know what they found instead? pain, lasting pain, and it just will not go away. It won't leave you. It's there. The good time is over, but the pain remains. 
Uh, the actor Peter Sellers, uh, perhaps his most famous film was The Pink Panther. Now, at this present moment in time, you're probably thinking of the theme tune for The Pink Panther. Uh, I won't attempt to whistle it or hum it, but uh, it's there. And he played the comical Inspector Clouseau. And he said this, he said, the realization is less than the expectation. He said, I tell you straight, all I'm trying to do is to get through the day. And when I cry, I cry for yesterday. Jesus Christ, however, offers true pleasure, the kind that endures to the real Christian, knowing God as a personal friend and a savior is pleasure beyond comparison. And the woman at the well, she was disillusioned and disappointed because she was distant from God. She could talk about religion, and many of us can talk about religion, but we're distant from God. We can talk about traditions back in the old days when things were better. But we're a long way from God. Customs. And so can some of us this evening. But a religious debate does not mean that a person has a relationship with God. In fact, those who spend their lives with religion usually do so because they have no relationship with God, but it fills the gap. Do you ever feel that God is far away from you? Many people do. It's one of those things that often people will talk to me about. It's all right for you, Pastor. God seems to be so close to you, but I, he's so far. I don't know him. I don't feel him. He means nothing to me. My life is empty. A dot on the horizon. Whose fault is it? Because he wants that relationship with us because he's made us in his image and he loves us. And he wants that all of us will repent of our sin and come to him. <laughs> Perhaps at the moment, you don't even want to know God. I've had people say that to me. I, 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 I'm going to leave it till later. I, I don't want God to cramp my style in any way whatsoever. I've got plans, God. No, you don't feature in them because you wouldn't approve. But I've got plans. And I want to do my thing. Dare I say it, I want to do it my way. Do you ever wish that you could talk to God? Well, the reality is, is that we're made, we were created to have fellowship with God. But our sin and our wrongdoing has separated us from him. And it's that that stops us having communion with him. Sin is like a barrier between God and us. And we are powerless to remove it. And it is this sin barrier that stops our fellowship with God. 
But here's the incredible thing, the good news that we have this evening. And it's this, God's made the first move to restore our fellowship with him. How? Because he sent his son, whom he loved. And he sent him to this earth on a rescue mission to rescue you. That's how much he loves us. He was prepared to send the Lord Jesus to rescue us, to bring us back to God. And as Jesus talked to the Samaritan woman, she realized that this stranger was not just an ordinary Jew or even a prophet, but he was the very promised Messiah himself, the Christ who had come to redeem lost mankind. And he offered her true God. He said, John 4, 26, I who speak to you am him. There was no confusion. I who speak to you am him. And Jesus also said, Luke 19, 10, the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. You see, Jesus came to link us to God. You see, rather than being distant, God can live within the person and can guide every thought and every word and every deed because he lives his life in us. And if you've been coming on Sunday mornings, you'll know all about this. I can't, he can. And so it is Jesus living his life in us because I can't do that. Only Jesus can do that. You see, rather than being distant, God can live within the person to guide us. Life will then have meaning and purpose for whatever the future holds. The woman at the well was distant from God because she was marred by sin. Sin always distorts every area of our life. Just as surely as a physical disability or an illness can limit our potential if you lose your arm, you know, it's limited your potential. Our minds think impure thoughts. And then we tell lies. And then we gossip about other people. We swear. We may even learn to cheat and to deceive and to steal. It seems so easy to do wrong, but so hard to do right. And friends, you can't use the excuse, well, nobody's perfect. I'm a pretty good chap, really. The woman in John 4 was conscious of her sin, which Christ had come to deal with. And she's intrigued by Jesus. After all, he had offered her true pleasure, true life, and true God. Who would not be interested in that? Jesus had said, but whoever drinks the water that I shall give him will never, uh, never thirst, John four fourteen. And since she wanted the fountain of every last, everlasting life, she immediately replied, sir, give me this water. We would all have done the same. And wouldn't you have made sure that Jesus heard you? And it was at that moment that Jesus reached into her life and touched the raw nerve. And he says in verse 16, go, call your husband, and come here. 
You see, she had to admit her sin. There was no option. Jesus needed to hear her admit to her sin. She had to confess to all of her sin to the Savior. And that would be the beginning of her new life in Jesus. Friends, we can never ever come to know God in a personal way until we admit that we have done wrong and that we have sinned until we concede that we are sinners. Jesus said, I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance, Luke 5, 32. And again, it comes as a shock to some people. But the great work of our Lord Jesus was not healing the sick. <clears throat> it wasn't changing lives through his ministry, but it was dying to deal with all the wrong. And at the cross, God's anger against sin was redirected toward his precious son, Jesus Christ. Because Jesus died in our place. At the cross our sin was laid on him. And he took the punishment that we deserve. And it is because Jesus bore our sin. That God can truly forgive us. And we can be reconciled to him. Now we've been talking about living water. That the woman at the well was able to drink by faith in Jesus. I want you to remember as we begin to draw to a close that on the cross, one of the words that Jesus cried out were these, I thirst. You see, Jesus thirsted physically so that the spiritual thirst of all men and all women and all boys and girls could be quenched eternally. Now, of course, it was not easy for this woman to tell Jesus all about her life. It's never easy to tell people about our past. But the word of God tells us that it is only when we confess that we are sinners who need Christ that we can and will be forgiven. Not only did Jesus die for us, but three days later he triumphed over the grave. And friends, now he desires to come and to live in each of us. To cleanse us. To change us. To see that we're born again. As Christ takes up residence in the hearts of those who trust him. It is as if a fountain of life springs up within. And like the woman. They cannot keep it to themselves. But want to tell everyone. I just want to explain. Becoming a true Christian involves changing sides it's the start of new life instead of living for pleasure that so quickly passes away you start to live for the Lord Jesus in fact all of a sudden you have a thirst to live for him and to show the mind of Christ more and more you want to be more and more like Jesus every single day you can't help it and that comes because he lives within you and he's changing you and your whole outlook on life changes because Jesus lives within you. It's never easy to be a true believer in a hostile world. But Jesus gives the joy and the peace that comes through knowing that our sin is forgiven. For then the power of his risen presence enables you to overcome difficulties. True life and purpose come from having a relationship with God 
that lasts. Lasts throughout your life and lasts through your death and lasts throughout all eternity. Now, you might have a bunch of keys in your pocket. I've got a bunch of keys here. And the thing is that if you lose them, life is terribly difficult. You can't drive the car. You can't get into your house. You can't get to your post office box. You can't undo the door of the church. Everything becomes difficult. And you look at all these keys and you think to yourself, is it really necessary to have all these? But this is life. And people throughout their lives, they collect keys. They collect keys for all sorts of things. Keys for pleasure. Keys for the things they want to do. And they're hoping that as they put the key in the lock of their life, that they're going to be able to turn it, and suddenly it's going to open, and this this happiness and this joy and this pleasure is just going to fall out and engulf them, and everything's going to be okay. And they're going through this key ring, and they're suddenly realizing that all of a sudden, they're down to the last one. And it still hasn't worked because they're looking in the wrong place. You see, there's no doubt that Jesus is the key to life because his word tells us, he tells us, he explains it so very clearly. Jesus is the key. He's the only key. He's the only key that fits And when we apply it in our lives, when we apply the Lord Jesus, and we confess our sin and we turn to him and we call to him, then he gives us true pleasure, true love, true joy. Are you ready to ask Christ to forgive you, to give you a new start? Because he is the true key to life. Let's pray. And so our gracious and loving Heavenly Father, we thank you for the words that we have read together and have considered. We thank you for the testimony of this woman who had that appointment, that encounter with you at the well. And she was changed completely and totally and utterly. Because she found the key to life. And in our lives, there are some of us this evening who are fearful. There are some of us who are so sure of ourselves that we think we can do all of this in our way. And I don't want God to get in my way. And I don't want Jesus and his message of true life to stand between me and what I want to do. Oh, perhaps maybe one day when I'm older and (laughs) I can't go clubbing anymore and all the rest of it. Then just maybe then I'll think about it. But the reality is, is that we're commanded to repent now. Because in your great love and your compassion, you've spoken personally to each and every one of us. But we also recognize that you are the God who also determines the length of our days. And we need to be right before you. And this evening, if there is anybody here who has not made that choice for you, has not called to you, who has not sought you, who has not listened to what you have to say, 
who've turned their back against you. Who've avoided your word. Don't want to listen. And yet, here you are, calling graciously and seeking us. And I pray that tonight we would have had or we will have that appointment with you and that you graciously will hear our confession, will hear of our repentance and will turn to us and say, you're mine, I've saved you. You belong to me. And on that day when we will meet God in judgment, our Savior will stand between us and will say, it's okay, I know this one. I love him. I love her. I died for them. And they're mine. And so, gracious Lord, if there is anybody here this evening who has come to that point that they would want to share it and talk and explain what has taken place and happened. Amen. Let's stand and we'll